One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. I have a 10-year-old named Tony, and I have twin 7-year-olds named Libby and Nate. And I have two kids, Jay, who is four and a half, and Kenny, who is about 18 months. Regular listeners know that we like to open the show by just telling a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, just to get the kid stuff out of the way up front. Deborah, what have your kids done that's particularly awesome this week? I made quiche with Libby Mm -hmm. for dinner last night, and I have made it before. I think she just hasn't paid attention, but she was, like, blown away that we were making an egg pie, and that's what she kept calling it, which sounds gross. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Does she like to cook with you in the kitchen? She loves to cook. Yes. Yeah. She doesn't always like to eat what we make, but she likes to be involved. And she did eat the egg pie and she liked it. Good, good. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember this, but a while back, Kenny was like just turning one. And I was a little worried because he wasn't walking yet. Because mm-hmm. he started walking quite a bit later than Jay did. Well, today he moved a stool over to the window and climbed onto it and then proceeded to climb onto the windowsill and stand (gasps) on the windowsill. Oh my gosh. So I don't think I had any cause to worry about this kid's gross motor skill development slash second kids are so much more terrifying than first kids as far as daredevil behavior. (laughs) Yes. Did you get him down right away or did you take a picture first? Oh, I took a picture first for sure. (laughs) Um, It's actually quite a wide windowsill. I made sure like he was steady before I picked up the camera. (laughs) Uh, For screen time in the news this week, we are discussing an article from December 18th that was published in Vulture. I think it may have also come out in the print version of New York Magazine, but I could be wrong on that one. It is titled, What Should Your Kids Be Watching? And it is by Catherine Van Arendonk. She writes really thoughtful things about television. I highly recommend you read anything she writes. She also has a delightful podcast about television called Appointment Television. But enough of the fangirling. Uh, This article was about how parents go about determining what is appropriate for their children to watch. And she talked a significant bit about common sense media, which you know if you've listened to our show that we use pretty frequently because, as she mentions in the article, it's one of the few sources for reviews of essentially everything that comes out for children. Like, Mm -hmm. we are 
somewhere around 75 episodes. We're working really hard. We're reviewing what we can, but they review everything. Yeah, they have 35,000 entries. So in the article, she talks about the kind of split opinion she has of Common Sense Media and its reviews because on the one hand, they're really nice as a parent because they're very straightforward and they don't leave room for a lot of personal opinions about what the shows or movies are like. They're just like, this is appropriate for five-year-olds or older and there's a tiny bit of bad language in it or whatever. But of course, as a professional reviewer and critic, she objects to that because there's no room for nuance and there's no admission of the fact that the people reviewing these products for Common Sense Media are in fact human beings with subjective views on what may or may not be appropriate for children. Essentially, the conclusion she came to was, yeah, she's going to keep using it because it's easy and it makes her feel better, uh, but she wishes there were more sources out there for more thoughtful reviews of children's content, to which I started jumping up and down and waving my arms above my head saying, hi, um, Catherine, I think you're really great. Uh, I have this little podcast. I think <laughs> you might like it. <laughs> totally. What did you think of the article? It was really interesting. I did not know very much about common sense media at all it's founded by jim steyer who's the brother of tom steyer who's running for the democratic nomination for president who knew he wanted to influence children's programming and that's why he started it i didn't know they employed so many people they have like 130 full-time people working plus freelancers they have offices all over the world But they would have to. I mean, you and I have both experienced just the sheer amount of content they have. Yes, right. And by all over the world, I mean several American cities and London. (laughs) (laughs) I really agreed with her. Like, I feel conflicted about common sense media also because on the one hand, their summaries of shows are so dry. Mm -hmm. It's not fun to read in the way that uh, like arts and leisure section of the newspaper is fun to read about Mm -hmm. shows but as a parent I do appreciate like it's way more in-depth ratings than just a PG or a G or a R the way movies are rated and I think we learned that pretty early on that looking for other critics opinions of the shows that we're reviewing often common sense media is the only source And Mm -hmm. I mean, those reviews just aren't useful to us for opinions, although it is useful if we're look if we're thinking about shows and we're like, well, we haven't done a show for preschool age kids. The general age range I find to be the most useful part of that site. One other thing I noticed in the article is she really burned her public library. Ooh, yeah. Saying that all they had was an undifferentiated shelf of DVDs with Disney logos on the spine. And the library wasn't doing a good job of guiding her to the appropriate first movie to show her three-year-old daughter. How does your public library do it? The DVDs are sorted by, like, TV shows and movies. And I think in the movies, it's, like, comedies and dramas. So it's definitely not by age. Right, same. Ours, Ours is the same. That's a totally good question for a children's librarian we should do a little do a little asking around (laughs) listeners if you are a children's librarian or if you've had experience with your local library giving you advice as to what to watch with your kids let us know we're curious 
So a little bit of follow-up from our last episode. It was the holiday season. Did you get to see any holiday movies in the theater? I saw Star Wars and Little Women, too. I saw both of them. I did, too. This never happens. I feel so au courant. (laughs) Guess what? So Christmas Day, we went to see Star Wars in the evening as our family of five. And then the next day, I went to see like a cheap movie theater had tickets to the Adams family for like $2.50. So I went with Libya, Nate, and my sister-in-law and her daughter. And then that evening, I went to see Little Women. So I saw three movies in the theater within 24 hours. Wow. I was really living my best life. Yeah, that sounds awesome. (laughs) So what did you think of Star Wars? I think I am interested in Star Wars more than I am a fan of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was fine as as good as any Star Wars franchise installment is but I'm far more interested in like the behind the scenes back and forth about like how the director of the second movie is hated by some and so they had to bring the first guy back and maybe he did good by the franchise but maybe he just erased what the other guy did and I want I want to read that behind the scenes book more so (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm not a super fan, but everybody else in my family is. So I had some clarifying questions when it was done. (laughs) My kids thought I was stupid. (laughs) They used the S word on you. They didn't call me that. They were nice about it, but I could tell I was asking like pretty basic questions. Oh man. But I really loved Little Women. What did you think of that? It was so good. And it was hard because I have a special place in my heart for both the book, which I read a ton of times growing up, and also the 1994 movie version. Yes, with Winona Ryder. So when I first heard that this was coming out, it just seemed like the vanity project of a hipster director. And now I just will eat all the humble pie because it was beautiful. It changed the story in ways that made it better I just I loved everything about it how about you yeah I really really enjoyed it I thought it was perfect at what age do you think you'll introduce Libby to little women I'm not sure like is that like later elementary school do you think I guess I don't really remember I mean I know by the time the 94 movie came out I had definitely already read the book and Mm -hmm. I was like 11 or 12 Yeah, maybe more middle schoolish. I don't know. But regardless, it was great. I wholeheartedly recommend it to all grownups. I have no clue how old a kid should be to see it. Yeah, it is sad. So I just started weeping like 15 minutes into the movie and did not stop until it was over. Oh, I saw it with two (laughs) girlfriends and they were quite worried about me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so today's topic The Bravest Night is what we're talking about. It is a Hulu show. It premiered in 2019. There are 13 episodes out right now. It's about a 10-year-old named Nia who is learning how to be a knight from her adoptive dads. Cedric is a knight himself, and her other dad is Prince Andrew. And the show features flashbacks to Cedric's childhood, when he was a pumpkin farmer trying to become a knight. It's based on the 2014 book called The Bravest Knight Who Ever Lived 
by Daniel Errico, illustrated by Shiloh Penfield. It's made by Hulu, and it has a really star-studded voice cast. Uh, T.R. Knight is Cedric. He played George on Grey's Anatomy back in the day. And then Wilson Cruz plays Prince Andrew. He was Ricky from My So-Called Life from way, way back in the day. I know, such a nostalgic cast. Yeah, I I loved it. Anyway, why, why did we pick it? We read last year in a Screen Time in the News segment, What Do We Tell the Kids? Children's TV Struggles with LGBTQ Characters. And this show looked really good because we love representation in kids' shows. And Katie is a self-described Ren Fair fan. And how could we not watch it? It's got knights and dragons and all that fun Middle Ages stuff. I mean, have we done knights and dragons since we covered Night Squad a million years ago? (laughs) That's the only one I can think of. Oh my gosh. About time, clearly. (laughs) So we started with episode one, Cedric and the Troll. We also watched episodes seven and 13, Cedric and the Wizard and Grunt in the Bridge. So we'll go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Katie, take us away. Okay, so in Cedric and the Troll, we're introduced to Nia and her dad, Cedric, who explains to Nia that... Well, he's in the process of training his daughter, Nia, to become a knight. They call knights in training not yet knights. And he is explaining to Nia that she can't always trust everything she sees in her training. And by way of illustrating, he tells a story about his own training. So we flash back to little Cedric, who comes across a tree in the ro- in the middle of the road, and there's a troll living behind the tree who tries to get him to pay a toll to cross the tree, which is obviously absurd. You can just walk around a tree in the road. Mm-hmm. So little Cedric meets the troll living by the tree. His name is Grunt, and he learns that Grunt's bridge has been stolen by another bigger troll so Cedric decides that his big quest is going to be to get Grunt's bridge back for him and this is going to help Cedric become a real knight Uh, so on their way to find Grunt's bridge they come across a tower a classic sort of Rapunzel setup um they are fooled by a witch who's in the tower pretending to be a damsel in distress. So the witch throws them in a pit where Cedric meets other not yet knights and they work together to trick the witch by covering themselves in mud. And she looks into the pit and she can't see them because they all blend in with the bottom of the pit So they're able to, in turn, trap her in the pit and all get out. So it's a lesson for Nia that things aren't always as they seem. The best thing about this episode, I thought, was a really funny throwaway line when they're all in the pit throwing mud at one another. And one of the other not-yet-knights, she says, Are all trolls that good at throwing dirt? And Cedric says, I think that's a stereotype. That was funny. The lesson was very sweet and straightforward for a show that we had been prepared for through this article about LGBTQ themes and children's content. I was expecting it to be a little bit more 
on the radical side, which it definitely wasn't. It was a very classic children's message told in a pretty straightforward way. Deborah, what did you think? I liked it. Yes, I was also expecting the two dads to be like more of a big deal. But it's just how Nia's family is and they don't really explain it or explain why it's different or anything. It's just a fact, which I appreciated. Um, I thought there were some funny moments in this episode, like Grunt, the troll can't find his bridge and they get to like this intersection where there's a uh, pole with like arrows pointing in different ways to different assigned post yes pointing to different places and then they don't know which way to go and then grunt like hits the signpost and all the arrows like switch to different places which i gave me like a panicky feeling inside like how are they gonna find anything how are they gonna get home (laughs) there were a lot of funny little moments i thought they did Mm -hmm. A good job through the dialogue and through little visual moments of keeping things entertaining. It wasn't purely saccharine. It wasn't like a Daniel Tiger episode, which I'm not throwing shade on Daniel Tiger. I love it for what it is. But it's so straightforward as to be a bit dull. This mm-hmm. this had some more snap to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very playful, especially with like the riff on the fairy tales, like Rapunzel in the Tower was a witch and the, I don't know, the troll and the bridge made me think of like three billy goats gruff a little bit but it was done in a way that wasn't quite expected all right should we move on to cedric and the wizard sure so in episode seven it starts out in the middle of the night and nia is scared of a raging thunderstorm and her dad cedric reassures her that being scared is part of being brave and he tells a story from his youth again in which he and this bird named sailor and grunt the troll they were trying to find their way into the castle and so they sneaked onto a carriage that was going to the castle they were mistaken for court musicians and when they get to inside the castle they ghost the other performers because they can't really play any instruments So they're hiding, and then the spooky wizard comes in and tries to take the throne, cast like a spell on the queen, which freezes the queen. And Cedric was really scared, but then as he explains to Nia, getting scared doesn't defeat you, giving up defeats you. Then he was able to muster the courage to use the old mirror to reflect the spell back onto the evil wizard trick and so then the wizard freezes the wizard's self and everyone comes unfrozen Mm -hmm. and then at the very end cedric meets the king and queen and then in the flash forward when he's with nia he was like that's when i first met your grandparents which was so cute yeah (laughs) (laughs) i have to lodge one complaint about this episode as a parent Okay. So at the end of the episode, um, Cedric is trying to tell Nia that it's okay to be afraid of the thunderstorm. And he, he's just randomly like, I always used to like to play a game when I was scared. So then they launch into this whole fake sword fight in her bedroom and they're laughing and playing. And I was just cringing the whole time because when you're a parent, you don't want to all of a sudden have to play a game with your kid in the middle of the night when they're afraid of a thunderstorm. No, you got to get that kid back to sleep. Exactly. As efficiently as possible. Cedric, what kind of example (laughs) are you setting? I bet Andrew was behind the door being like, oh my gosh, Cedric, now we're going to have to do this every night. (laughs) (laughs) 
as someone who is terrified of roller coasters, I have often been told that fear is just the flip side of excitement. It is an Mm. argument that infuriates me because I continue Mm. to hate roller coasters, but I could relate to Nia's plight in that way. Should we move on to episode 13? Sure. Okay, so episode 13 was the last episode of the season. It was called Grunt and the Bridge, and it was the culmination of the season-long effort of Cedric and Grunt to find Grunt's bridge. So they find his bridge, they find the evil big troll that is now controlling his bridge, who is clearly not anywhere near as good a troll as Grunt is because he can't even rhyme when he's asking them to pay the toll. They challenge him to a bout of strength, Grunt versus this other troll. They have to use a giant axe to knock off the biggest tree branch they can in one swing. So the big troll takes the axe and cuts off a really big tree branch and thinks he's clearly going to win. And then Grunt takes the axe and he like carefully looks at all the different trees and knocks on them and picks a tree that he knows is hollow. So when he swings the axe, he can cut off a really big part. So they get Grunt's bridge back, and Cedric is then worried about losing his friend, obviously, because they've been together for the whole season. But Grunt decides that he would rather go with Cedric and continue his not-yet-night adventures, because the lesson of the episode is that it is, in fact, about the journey and not the destination. Deborah, what did you think of this episode? This is my least favorite lesson or moral to a story. I hate it when people are like, oh, it's not the destination, it's the journey that's important. It's not that I'm like a super goal-oriented person or anything. I just feel like it's a consolation prize for when things don't turn out the way you wanted them to. Otherwise, I thought it was fine, cute. I did, I wonder if in any of the episodes we didn't watch, if we find out how Cedric and Prince Andrew actually meet, because I would really like to see their meet cute. Yeah, and that was, I mean, you brought up earlier that normalization is another important path forward in representation. So the fact that they've chosen not to foreground the relationship between Andrew and Cedric is a valid choice, obviously. But as a dyed-in-the-wool shipper, yeah, I just want to see all the details. Yes. (laughs) So the evil troll is bragging about how he stole the bridge from Grunt, and he goes... And I tore your accent rug in half. And that was like his big (laughs) mocking point. And Grunt was so angry about the accent rug that later when he gets the bridge back and you see them in his little hut, you see the accent rug and it's sewn together. It was just such a nice little touch. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely clever writers on this show. Should we move on to our more general thoughts? Yes. What did you think about the concept in terms of preschool shows are sometimes hard for grown-ups to watch because they're awful, awful, awfully simplistic sometimes. So was there enough to entertain you, did you think? Certainly compared to a lot of other preschool shows we've watched. As I've mentioned, I mean, I liked the episodes enough to pick out individual lines that I thought were mm-hmm. funny. I thought the fact that they chose to include nostalgic actors from like the early aughts or the mid 90s I mean that felt like clearly a touch that was put in there for the adults Mm -hmm. I 
I felt like there was enough there for me to attach to. Clearly, the plot was simplistic. The lessons were very well spelled out. There was never any question as to what was going to happen. But I found it to be entertaining enough on an adult level. How about you? Yeah, I thought that the characters were not as like just one dimensional as sometimes they are in preschool shows. Thought they were likable and interesting, and I wanted to find out what was going to happen to them. And I also liked the way it was framed with starting with Nia and Cedric, usually at the beginning of the show, and then the flashback to Cedric's youth. Mm-hmm. That worked well for me. Agreed. So we talked a little bit about the way that the LGBTQ inclusion was treated um, and it was more natural than forced. I was kind of expecting like a very special episode, like an after school special type of treatment of it. And I didn't find it to be that way at all. What did you think? Anything more to say on that? I mean, it just speaks to my current mindset that I wanted something more radical and blatant and being like, just telling us how it is and how it ought to be Mm -hmm. in a a very strident way. I wanted that for whatever reason, but this is probably more successful for a television show. (laughs) Like, It'll get more viewers this way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what did you think of the characters? Did you have a favorite or did you have somebody who you didn't really want to see on the screen anymore? I I mean, I guess the biggest question mark, just because the way we jumped around in the episodes, was Sailor the Talking Crow. Mm-hmm. She seemed to be like the grown-up influence on Cedric and Grunt, which I felt kind of cut down on the madcap kid feeling of it in a way that Mm -hmm. maybe I didn't care for so much. How about you? I wanted to see more of Nia because I was maybe just because I was expecting it to be more centered on her Mm -hmm. because she is the kid, but then it's more about Cedric's youth. And I also wanted to know and see more of Prince Andrew. He's very much in the background. He's busy ruling his kingdom probably. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) it's too bad he's named after well he's not named after it's too bad he has the same name as the scandalized prince andrew (laughs) probably when it was written it there wasn't all that jeffrey epstein stuff that's true about prince andrew in the news like on a weekly basis speaking of characters what did you think about the voice cast tr knight remember when we were in library school and like everybody watched Grey's Anatomy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every Sunday night yeah because that was right around when the big dust-up happened with like one of their co-workers having to get fired because he made homophobic comments on the set Mm -hmm. uh and then T.R. Knight just kind of disappeared yeah I wondered what he has been doing between Grey's Anatomy and this because I (laughs) he's been off my radar for a long long time yeah same despite the fact that I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy that's so great (laughs) it's my law and order (laughs) so I was so happy to see these familiar names in the cast but then ultimately I didn't find their voices to be as distinctive as I hoped 
they would be. Yeah, I think Wilson Cruz's was, but definitely not TR Knight. See, even Wilson Cruz did not speak Ricky to me. Okay. The one that I definitely recognized, is it Bobby Moynihan? Yes, who plays Grunt. Yes, because he is also one of the three nephews on DuckTales, which we reviewed Mm -hmm. uh, last year, two years ago. So his voice was very recognizable to me, but sadly, the two nostalgic stars were not. I did look at the IMDb list of cast and... On the up, some episodes that we didn't watch, they have a lot of good actors like Christine Baranski. Love her. Yes. RuPaul, Wanda Sykes. There's a lot more to explore, I think. What did you think of the animation? So they did the thing where they have the all black eyes. Yeah. <laughs> My notes say eyes look dead. <laughs> it's easier to animate because you don't have to worry about where their eyes are looking. They're just black mm-hmm. spots. And I got used to it after a while, except then when Sailor the Crow showed up and for some reason, well, no, for an obvious reason, because crows are black and you can't just have black eyes on a black crow. It would look like the crow didn't have eyes. But Sailor had like regular white eyes with a black middle. And it was like, why Mm -hmm. does the crow have regular eyes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But other than that, I found the animation style to be fine, cute. It wasn't annoyingly computer animated in the way that a lot of other things are. The characters were able to be emotive without looking too creepy once you got past the eyes. How about you? Mm -hmm. Uh, Same notes as you. It reminded me of Scooby-Doo, like the old Scooby-Doo. And I wonder if that's because the eyes are black on those characters. Are they? I would have to look it up. I know. I'm thinking, like, I think Shaggy, definitely. I'm totally looking it up as we're talking. But I thought that the scenery animation was really good and like like you said not so blatantly cgi that sometimes i'll just write off a show because i don't like how it's computer generated and i feel like that's generational on our part Mm -hmm. that is something that we just have to get over so i'll tell you what listeners if there is a show that you think could convert us that like is so good that we won't mind how obviously CGI the animation is, let us know because we will happily review it. We would love to be proved wrong. So what are you finding on Google Images for Scooby-Doo? Shaggy and Fred and now I'm going to forget which girl is which. Velma is the one with the glasses, right? Mm-hmm. It appears that they just have black eyes, but Daphne has real eyes as does Scooby. That's so weird. <laughs> yes. Why wouldn't they all be the same? I don't know anything about animation, clearly. Okay. Yeah. So Cedric in some ways kind of reminded me of Shaggy. That makes sense. Moving on to <laughs> what adult movie or show were you able to compare The Bravest Night to? Oh, actually, before we move on, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the music. I thought it was fine. I really liked the theme song. And then at the end in the credits, there's like, it sounds very Rufus Wainwright. It's like a very maudlin, like emo song (laughs) that I really like. Like, I would just listen to that. I even wrote the lyrics down. (laughs) Bravest thing I'll ever do is being true. But it's it's good in a like a just cheesy cry in a dark room kind of way (laughs) yeah it was sweet I was just curious about your uh your thoughts on that okay (laughs) adult movie or tv show I immediately thought of how I met your mother because of the framing device uh 
And I kind of thought, as you were saying, that Nia was underserved because she was just like those random kids in How I Met Your Mother. Like she was there at the beginning mm-hmm. and there at the end to like wrap up the episode. And that was it. Made me think of the Princess Bride in that same way, where it's like boy Fred Savage and grandpa at oh. the beginning. Although I feel like Boyfriend Savage and Grandpa are like still such an integral part of the movie to me mm-hmm. in a way that Nia, unfortunately, was not. But maybe that would be different if we watched the whole season. I don't know. So are you too young to have watched My Two Dads? No. Mm-mm. Do you remember that show? Yeah. It also made me think of that show. And like, it's just a vague memory. But were those guys maybe gay or not? Definitely not at all. Were they like friends? I have no memory of how the conceit worked, but I feel certain that it being the late 80s, very early 90s, they probably worked really hard to come up with some explanation that allowed both characters to be like, listen, just so you know, I'm clearly not gay. Because right. of the time it was and the way that primetime television operated slash operates. Yeah. Okay, and also for my book club, Oh, like in the fall, we read this book called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about that? It's mm-hmm. really, really a fun read. It's like a pink cover, lighthearted romance book about the first son, like the son of the president of the United States oh. who meets like the the like the Prince Harry equivalent. And then they have like this secret romance. That goes public. It's a really fun read. That made me think of like just wanting more as an adult of the Cedric Prince Andrew backstory. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I only cast one character, but I think the person I cast could carry the show no matter who played every other role. Okay. I just want Grunt, played by Ian McShane. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. I was looking for this big, that's the best thing I ever. know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you ever watch Deadwood? Oh, no. Like a couple episodes here okay. and there. Um, have you watched the newish show American Gods? No. <laughs> All right, so Ian McShane is fairly known for being quite foul-mouthed and ornery. Um, And I just think the idea of like a sidekick troll that is a foul-mouthed, ornery old man is quite clever. So I'm patting myself on the back for that one. (laughs) I'm looking at his face. I can definitely see that. I do not recognize him from anything. We like totally different shows sometimes. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) Okay, so I wanted, like, the female mirror image of this show. So I want, in the gritty HBO reboot, I want Anne Hathaway and Carrie Washington to play two royal moms who tell nostalgic stories about their youths to their preteen daughter who's learning how to become a modern royal. I like it. I think Anne Hathaway is unfairly maligned, and I would like to see her in something good. Uh, I just thought of her because of The Princess Diaries. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. Yeah, totally. It's super problematic, but I can't help from loving it. I can't help but love it. (laughs) Yeah. So was it better when we were kids? I was trying to think of like other sort of knights and dragons 
shows. And for the life of me, I just I feel like our Saturday morning cartoons were way too dominated by like Mr. T and other actual people who somehow had animated series based on them. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't think of a good fantasy equivalent. Could you? I mean, I kind of thought of the the never ending story. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, The Princess Bride. But those are movies, not shows, and not really for preschoolers. So I'm going to have to say no, it was not better when we were kids. I thought this show was pretty good. Although, for the record, in my humble opinion, the original NeverEnding Story and The Princess Bride are unassailable as properties, and they are great. And no matter how many shows we review, I will never say that anything is better than them. Okay. (laughs) Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? No, but... It was so sweet and gentle, and the lessons were so well phrased mm-hmm. that I, I mean, I would happily watch it with either of my kids. So mm-hmm. the fact that I wouldn't watch it alone voluntarily doesn't speak to the fact that I didn't like it. But, you know, the ones that I want to watch voluntarily after the fact are the ones with serialized plots, and you just don't get that with preschool shows. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I am not going to watch this alone voluntarily because I have not watched Hulu in a really long time and we're paying for it, which Jeremy reminds me like monthly. And I realize there's so many things I want to watch on Hulu. I haven't even watched The Handmaid's Tale yet or the Wu-Tang origin story. You were so excited about that one. I know. (laughs) I know. So I've got a lot of Hulu catching up to do. Um, And I mean, I'm not going to watch this alone. So 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. I think it's totally fine unless you want your kids thinking you should play like sword fight games with them in the middle of a thunderstorm in the night. I would skip um, that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, what did you think? I mean, your kids are probably too old for it, right? I don't see Tony or Nate getting into this at all, but they've never been into like nights and that kind of show. Libby would probably watch it, but. There's a lot of other things that she would probably rather watch. I would love to get my boys into it. I just think it might be a little too, and this is a horrible word to say, but it's the best one I can reach for it, like gentle. There's not a lot of action. I mean, it is a show about knights. Mm -hmm. And it's very dialogue heavy if Mm -hmm. your kids like to watch like chase scenes or fight yes. scenes and stuff. Exactly. And not even speaking about the violence component, it's just such a mellow show. Mm-hmm. So if you have kids that need a little bit more stimulation, it might it might not go off so well. Mm-hmm. Ratings? I was really charmed. I would go, I mean, we gave Get Out of My Room four stars. <laughs> so I feel like this has to at least be 4.5 the only thing not making it a five for me are those black eyes yeah I think I'm gonna go with a four but if you had to compare it head to head to last week's episode like they're both fours which one's better okay four point four point five no you (laughs) (laughs) yes I knew I'd make you see things my way JBJ just had so much personality you had a crush on JBJ that's what you're saying a little bit Mm. I think so (laughs) (laughs) well on that note thanks for listening to this episode of it's my screen time too please rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts check out our website at myscreentime2.com 
You can still find us on Facebook to continue the conversation at facebook.com slash myscreentime2. You can tweet us with show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments at at myscreentime2. You can email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.